0: publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire the News Bureau Chief of WFIU and WTIU. We're gonna have a special uh, New Year's Day edition of Noon Edition today with two editors, newspaper editors from around the area. Max Jones from the Terre Haute Tribune Star is here with us today in the studio, as is Jeff Kovaleski of the Kokomo Tribune. We're gonna talk about the year uh, 2015, all the news that occurred in 2015, it was a busy year and we're also gonna look ahead to 2016. I'm sorry that you can't join us on the program today. We won't be taking any calls, but we'll be talking about, uh, about last year and we're gonna be predicting some things going on in 2016. So Max, Jeff, good to have you guys back, and Sarah, good to be with you thanks, Bob. All right, so Happy new year it was a big it seems like it was a really big news news year in Bloomington anyway. What about Terre Haute Max?
1: Well, you know there is there was a, a number of things going on in Terre Haute, but um, every uh, seems like every conversation for the past year in Terre Haute has been dominated by Uh, this odd developing story about the uh, crisis in Terre Haute city government's finances. And it's not a real sexy topic, and maybe that's part of the reason why it got in such bad shape over a course of uh, really eight years uh, it took. Uh, And uh, even though people have known and there has been kind of growing concern about it, it seemed like that finally this year, Uh, this whole strange uh, story uh, erupted into something more uh, that people finally tuned into. And uh, I think uh, people are starting to take it a little more seriously than they have in the past. It certainly dominated the uh, mayoral election, the municipal election this year, Uh, even though uh, the mayor who is... uh, has been in charge of City Hall for the last eight years through two terms as this was all developing. Uh, He managed to win re-election by a a closer, it was closer than expected, Uh, but the big change uh, occurred in our city council. Uh, And there was uh, quite, uh, quite a movement there, and I do believe that beginning with next year, you will start to see at least a more active, engaged city council, as opposed to the more complicit group that we had uh, over the past eight years, who just uh, just kind of went along and and uh, were at least the majority of that council uh, seemed to s- just tune it all out and uh, not pay a lot of attention. But can now they've got a big mess on their hands. Can, or, can you give us kind of a thumbnail of the mess? I can, uh, and uh, like I say, it's uh, you know public finance is not necessarily. <laughs> The, the sexiest right. thing you ever want to talk about, but, uh, you know, in a nutshell, it came about because of the drastic change in state law uh, about eight years ago when, uh, when the legislature adopted the tax caps on, um, on uh, units of government, local units of government. And uh, then, of course, it uh, got put into the Constitution a couple years after that. So uh, it really restricted the amount of money that could be raised by local units of government by property taxes. And uh, what it did, it forced uh, it forced uh, communities all over the state to change the way they did business. And vast majority of those did that. Uh, It wasn't easy. It was ugly. It was real messy, as Jeff can tell us in Kokomo. They had their problems. Every community had their problems, and some dealt with it a whole lot better than others. But I don't think uh, you could point to any community that handled it the least well as what Terre Haute did. Mm -hmm. Um, So it went from eight years ago on January the 1st, it had an 8 or $9 million surplus in its general fund to starting this last January 1st, it it was underwater by almost $5 million, and that will be even greater when those numbers come in for this coming January the 1st. Mm -hmm. So, it just keeps on sinking. Um, There's been more talk in the past year. They tried to adopt a budget that, at least on paper, looks like it may uh, at least stop the bleeding. That's what they're trying to do right now. I, I, I don't think anybody really thinks that's what will happen. Uh, I think they may have slowed the bleeding somewhat with their new budget. Uh, whether or not they have actually stopped it, we'll, we'll see. Uh, they talk about how they've adopted a balanced budget for this year, but I, it's, uh, it's really unclear whether or not that's, that's, that's going to happen. And still, they're going to be nursing this uh, several-million-dollar deficit in their general fund that's going to take years to dig out of under the current conditions. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, you know, it's mainly what it comes down to is the fact that um, the the leadership and the uh, office holders in Tarot City government have just been able to come to grips Mm -hmm. with what needed to be done to 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 write their problem and it just gotten worse and worse well
0: it's interesting you note uh, you know I, i'm familiar with your mayor duke bennett and your mayor jeff uh greg goodnight through sarah's radio station here through ask the mayor um both mayors in your cities were re-elected correct yes jeff?
2: yeah uh this is uh mayor goodnight's he'll he'll begin his third term
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, in January. So what's what's he known for? I mean, what, from your standpoint, you know, we he puts a good face on on noon edition. That's for sure. He's he's a very well spoken man, and he he talks uh, very glowingly about what's going on in Kokomo. You know, you're you've got uh, boots on the ground in Kokomo, as they say. So, you know, what's your evaluation of how well city government's being run there? Uh, I think uh, Mayor Goodnight's done a, a a really
2: good job of managing the city finances uh, when he was elected eight years ago, um, there was about a $5 million deficit. Um, the The previous mayor had uh, just spent all of the economic development income tax money. Um, in fact, uh, Mayor Goodnight, uh, before he took office um, in November, announced that 12 or 11 firefighters that had been through training, and we're going to start in January. He announced that they're not going to join the fire department, um, and, and you know he's um, through attrition, um, reduced the workforce by twenty percent, and um, was able to then secure money to uh, embrace the quality of place. Um, economic development philosophy that uh, Michael Hicks at the uh, Center for Business and Economic Research um, espouses Mm -hmm. Um, there were a lot of developments in the past year the new baseball stadium um, a YMCA is going to open in February Uh, there was a parking garage with apartments on top and uh, a new development for uh, about 200 um, higher-end apartments with some retail on the on the bottom floor, uh, across from the baseball stadium, has been planned. So, so both cities are moving forward.
3: Yeah, it's
4: interesting though. In the past year, both cities have faced lawsuits over some of these issues both with the ballpark
3: mm-hmm.
4: that. Um, maybe you can explain that more. And then you, with sludge, which hopefully you can explain that more, too, goes the thumbnail version of we're that. We're all
1: about sludge. <laughs>
4: yeah, but first of all, if you can explain the ballpark and kind of where we are now, if that's all. Uh,
2: that I, I think where we're at with the ballpark now is now that the legislature's not in session. Two months after the legislature was not in session, everything was fine.
4: So why? So for people who, who don't understand the backstory, why was the legislature involved in a ballpark in in Kokomo? Uh,
2: we have a state senator who um, sponsored a bill for emergency, some sort of emergency uh, hearing where they wanted to he wanted to stop the construction of the baseball stadium uh, because um, part of the parcels where it was located. Um, were um, mitigated uh, for flooding back in the 90s. Um, So there were like eight parcels that, there were restrictions on what you could and couldn't use those parcels for, but these parcels were very, very small in the scheme of things. Um, There was a lot of negotiations back and forth between the city Uh, FEMA and um, the Indiana Department of Homeland Security Uh, threats were made. I think FEMA actually cut off all um, flood mitigation funding for the entire state until this was resolved. Um, But honestly, it got resolved and everything's fine.
4: They had really good attendance, I think, and now they're the same group is building a ballpark.
0: In Lafayette. Yeah. So what about sludge, Max? Well, (laughs) it's funny how almost every
1: big story in the past year goes back to the city's financial crisis, and that's where the whole sludge thing comes from. Uh, Tero has been in the process of building a new wastewater treatment plant, something that had been needed probably for 50 years. Uh, and it has been underway and it's going, it's going fine, they're going to get that thing finished and it's going to be a big benefit for the community. Uh, in the meantime, uh, it became apparent that it had a greater capacity at this new wastewater plant to handle and process sludge the, uh, from from not only their its own uh, sewer plant but from from uh, any sewer plants around the area that wanted to bring their sludge to, uh, to Terre Haute for processing. Uh, as, as Mayor Bennett has said uh, many times throughout the years that Terre Haute doesn't have a spending problem, it has a revenue problem. And uh, his way of solving, resolving part of his revenue problem, since property tax caps weren't raising enough money to keep the city going the way it was going, um, he was out looking for uh, new projects. And what he came up with was a public-private partnership that had to do with the sludge um, issue, uh, that uh, the the theory was that they could generate enough sludge that they could build a plant uh, that would convert sludge to diesel. Uh, and to diesel fuel. And using a very complex series of contracts between various partners, private partners, the city was, um, in theory, going to be able to raise millions of dollars a year to help take care of its its revenue problems. Well, it sounded great on paper, and there was a lot of talk about how technically, yes, this may be possible, but no such plan existed on the face of this earth, so it had never been tested in real life. Life, and um, um, so the partnerships began to get a little uh, stretched and, and frayed, and at at one point, one of the original partners in this sludge to diesel project that had been dreamed up. Uh, felt like they hadn't been treated properly and turned around and sued the city for some ridiculous amount, 72 million dollars or I mean something silly. but the suit was made in federal court for breach of contract and uh, various uh, other sundry uh, offenses that this that this company perceived that had been done to it. So that really uh, put the city of Terre Haute in quite a spot. Uh, not only now do they have to defend themselves in federal court against this breach of contract lawsuit it 's having to pay a lot of money to an expensive Indianapolis law firm that charges close to five hundred dollars an hour for its services so it's it's you know it truly is costing the city a bunch of money uh, for a project that they said was no risk from the start, absolutely no risk to the to the city. It was all reward, no risk. And of course what we're seeing now is not only they're paying high prices for this legal defense, but there's always a possibility that they could have some sort of judgment against them uh, remains to be seen. But even if they don't end up having to pay any sort of legal fees or a- any legal uh, penalty for what they did, um, they're they're certainly going to be out of pocket for all of these uh, legal fees that they've had to pay mm-hmm. over the course of the year. So that's kind of our sad sludge story. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it would have been great if they could have produced this sludge to diesel project and been the only one in, uh on the you know in the world. Uh, but it probably was never going to be destined to happen, and uh, the city got a little ahead of itself. Yeah.
0: Well, you're you're listening to a noon edition on WFIU today. We're pre-recording. Uh, I'm Bob Salzberg here with Sarah Whitmire, and uh, you were just listening to Max Jones from the Terre Haute Tribune-Star and Jeff Kowaleski from the Kokomo Tribune. We're going to talk about. Uh, I'm going to talk about some Bloomington issues here for a minute, and then we're going to broaden this out because there are a lot of state issues we want to talk about. Uh, you know, in Bloomington, we talked about both of the mayors. There's a Bloomington mayoral election this year. Mark Grazine. Twelve years as mayor of Bloomington. Um, you know that I think he did. I personally think he did a lot of good. For the city, he kept things going. I still think Bloomington has become more of an arts destination than it ever was before. His, one of his big deals was um, that the arts and quality of life are economic development, so he tried to play to Bloomington's strengths in those areas. There are some that would argue that while he did that, uh, a lot of things in terms of uh, the growth, 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 gross domestic product or whatever uh, really went. Uh, down the tube. So we had a guest column in our paper by a retired IU economics professor who basically said uh, the uh, MSA for the Bloomington area uh, ranked somewhere like 361st out of 365 MSAs in terms of economic growth over the last five years. Um, He was uh, very critical of the way the local economy has has grown in the last uh, five years. I'm not an economist, so I'm not going to argue with Bill Whitty. Uh, I think he probably had some great data to, to base that on. Um, Bloomington does, though, continue to be a great place to to live and to work. And I think there's some things on the on the forefront, uh, like a tech park downtown and a new um, Switchyard Park that is gonna be built, and we've got the Beeline Trail going through, and a lot of new technical kind of jobs that are coming in. So things aren't, you know, they aren't perfect in Bloomington after 12 years of the Mark Kruzan administration, but I think that they're still pretty darn good. So we, of course, elected John Hamilton to be mayor. And he's taking office uh, on Saturday, on uh, today, actually. Today, today, Today. it'll be Friday. We're pre-recording, of course, but it'll be today, Friday. Uh, He'll be taking office, and the Hamilton administration will be much different, I think, from the Cruzan administration. And it'll be interesting to to watch what happens there.
4: I wanted to ask your opinion um, about the Tech Park in particular, because that's something that Mm -hmm. Hamilton and Cruzan differed on so what's next for
0: well what's next for the tech park is is you know the, there are people who are basically uh have sent in you know projects that they'd like to do and the city, uh, Hamilton. The the disagreement was, you know, Mark Kazan was really pushing had a basically a, a letter of intent from an Indianapolis developer to build in the tech park, and then a second developer, a local developer, came forward with another project. Uh, the the issue that where um, John Hamilton differed with Mark Kazan was Hamilton believed there weren't enough protections in place to make the development be um, be the kind of sort of multi. Family multi-use development, rather than just become another student housing project downtown. So John Hamilton was not in favor of either one of those projects, as it turned out. Um, the The idea was was the, the developers kind of got the idea and said we're going to back off until after the first year and a new administration takes over. So uh, there's 12 acres right in the middle of the city, uh, six acres. the the main the projects that were on. Uh, that we've been writing about were basically six acres of it, and that was um, the two projects that were being discussed, which would have been some residential, some high tech office space, uh, parking facilities would have reused some of the old IU buildings that are in that area. And then there's another six acres that is sort of geared toward um, lower income housing and some other things of that nature. Uh, I don't have all the details in front of me, but uh, that's going to be a big issue next year as to how that 12 acres builds out, because that's going to be, you know, a big project in, right in the middle of downtown Bloomington. For you guys, uh, you know, it's right behind our city hall, the, the old showers, Complex and sort of includes some of those old showers buildings. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. But um, you know, Mark Cruzan is out now. John Hamilton's in. John's going to be. He's very interested. John Hamilton is very interested in. uh, He's he's probably a more progressive, using the political term, progressive mayor um, than even Cruzan was. And people thought Cruzan was very progressive and, and liberal. Um, Hamilton is you know he's very interested in social issues and social justice issues and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how this how that progresses yeah.
4: I know you want to broaden it out to talk mm-hmm. about state issues but before we do mm-hmm. just a similarity between Terre Haute and Bloomington mm-hmm. you know where I'm going Crows <laughs> Crows <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think John Hamilton may be coming to you all for advice on this
1: well, we were more than glad to share that crow problem with yeah. with Bloomington uh, it's it's uh, um it would be interesting to see what if if the same sort of approach that has somewhat mitigated the crow problem uh, in in Terre Haute although uh, you know it probably depends on who you talk to at any given point but yeah when I go when I leave work at night uh, and walk out into the street it's it sounds like fireworks on the 4th of July going off all over town and everybody's trying to move the crows uh, to one place or another and uh, like I say it's been moderately uh, you know successful again it depends on who you talk to right. well <laughs>
0: you know we did a whole show on crows yeah. last week and you know we, we were able to fill an hour talking about the crow issues um, so yeah that's That'll, that'll probably come out. You know, there are a lot of other Bloomington issues. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them because we've got a very broad audience. But we did have, in our city government and county government, we've had our share of corruption in the last three or four years, which, I, you know, I've been here a long time, and it just it seems like it's all cropped up fairly recently. Uh, you know, we had a city, um, former city employee in, in engineering and the public works department convicted and sentenced this year he's he basically had a scam going where he stole more than they're differing amounts of money but more than four hundred thousand dollars there's a parks official that was arrested and charged this year with uh stealing more than four hundred thousand dollars there was a county jail official that was arrested and charged this year with stealing more than two hundred thousand dollars so these things are just going on our county auditor's office has been a mess for several years and that's under investigation again although for a much lower amount of money so been more public corruption in our area than we were used to seeing and then the one other story from bloomington i do want to mention is because it's going to be it, it was number one on our HT newsroom list just from a vote of our our newsroom staff and you know admittedly where it's a very narrow sampling but the hannah wilson case you know an iu student who was um, found murdered in brown county and the guy that's charged with that that killing will be you know going to court this year uh, we'll see if it gets done in 2016 or not, but it's always a, a scary, tragic, horrible story when someone who's a student at IU come down, parents entrust their student to the university and then some tragedy happens, especially tragic when it's a murder. I mean, they're all tragic, if any death, but a murder is particularly tragic. So, uh, you know. That's, uh, there are a lot of other Bloomington stories we're not gonna be able to get to today. Same with you guys, although we can talk about more Terre Haute and Kokomo stories. But there's some state stories that were huge. I wrote an editorial and said, this is gonna be the year of RFRA. uh, You know, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Terre Haute, in Kokomo. How big was that story earlier this year? Jeff? It was huge. I
2: think I was here like a couple of years ago and I said this was gonna be the big thing that year I remember and it was (laughs) like the year after right I I just don't believe that Governor Pence is going to sign a bill um, extending civil rights protections to LGBT unless there is some sort of an accommodation for business owners who practice their personal faith I, I I just I don't think he's going to do
0: it. Mm -hmm. Um, And how do you think that's going to play around the state of Indiana? Well, I don't think that he cares. Mm -hmm. I really
2: honestly don't. I think that this is his personal conviction and no poll or majority of Hoosiers are going to sway him. It's not going to happen. Mm
0: There's a big prediction right there from Jeff Koval. Yeah, I'm surprised, just considering the
4: so-called fix that he—I mean—he had to do this year. He
2: he did the fix, and he was attacked from both the left and the right. Um, He knows that there's a no-win situation here; that some group is going to be offended because the Senate had issued a statement on, you know, a proposal to do just that, have some sort of a uh, accommodation for um, small businesses, Um, I think they've telegraphed everybody, this is what we're going to get. There's not going to be four words in a comma, there's not going to be just civil rights protections and we're done. There's going to be some give and take. And I think that if the LGBT community and fair-minded Hoosiers want to see civil rights protections, they're going to have to compromise. Max, do you agree with our, our buddy
0: Jeff there?
1: Well I think he cer- certainly makes a makes a good point it's uh, the legislature is going to be so tied up with this issue that you wonder if it'll be able to to accomplish uh, much of anything and I think they would like to have had it done by now, but the reason you haven't seen a compromise um, raised or, or put forward yet that that is acceptable to people is the fact that they're just going to have a real difficult time coming to grips uh, with this issue uh, in Terre Haute uh, you know right now you know that's uh our delegation our legislative delegation has uh uh swung uh to the uh conservative side uh we only have uh, there's only one democrat elected uh, official that's serving in an area that used to be dominated uh by democrats so uh, it's not like there are any votes uh, on the Democrat side uh, or even on a more moderate side to come out of uh, West Central Indiana where we are. Um, you know, when you're dealing with the supermajority in the legislature and you're dealing with a, a socially conservative uh, ideological governor, uh, I I would have to say uh, – Jeff may have a point, and uh, that uh, the governor may not be able to deal with this uh, adequately, and uh, he may not be reelected because of it.
0: Sarah, so what? What I want to get your take on this. I mean, from how will if if what Jeff says is true, and we have a divisive session this year, where there are people that want the you know the four words in a comma solution, which basically is just. Equal protection under the law for, you know, based on on sexual orientation and gender identity, um, equal protection. Um, but yet there's a uh, there's the sort of asterisk that says equal protection, except when you're dealing with small businesses. How's that going to play uh, around the country? You know, when people are looking at the state of Indiana, is this going to just just continue that image that sort of came out in Rifra last year? What do you think?
4: I guess that's the reason that I might disagree, because I think that Pence is so concerned about the business economy. I mean, it seems like every day we're getting some sort of media advisory about him attending an announcement about 25 jobs here or 25 here. Um, and we saw it in Indy after rifra and after the fix, where they had all the signs where you could pose next to them and show that we were a friendly, welcoming state. And I think there is a sense of and I could I could be totally wrong, but it feels like there's a sense to just let's get this done with. and if they can pass some sort of compromise early, but i, I don't I don't know if that's possible. I think last year, I think it was all, or this year it was almost like they were able to get it through before opposition was really aware of what was even happening. Like um, we didn't see the Freedom Indianas get on board really until it was kind of a done deal. And
0: um, well, nobody was listening to them. Nobody, yeah. was, paying, nobody was paying any attention. Because and
4: and you, know. you, you and I have talked about this mm-hmm. where we were kind of guilty of it, too, just saying, oh, it mirrors federal law and just kind of almost stopping at that. And it wasn't until they really got involved and said, wait a minute, you no, know, there's some key differences and here they are
0: right um, well it's going to be another it's going to be another big fight I you know the ACLU I, I had a meeting with Jane Henninger in the last week or so and you know the ACLU's gearing up although it's a very sensitive issue for them because they want to defend you know religious freedom as well but you know they're I think uh, you know Jane can certainly, talk for herself much more eloquently than I can, but what I came out of that conversation thinking is, you know, th- this is about equal protection. It's not about – I mean, a small business can refuse to, to make a cake for a gay couple, but not just because they're a gay couple. If the, the couple comes in and they're, you know, rowdy or they're impossible to work with or any other reason – then, of course, they can turn down serving that couple, but they can't do it just based solely on the fact that they disagree with their you know their their lifestyle decisions. You know there and there are a lot of things that are going to come up in the legislature. you know, what about a minister that wants to doesn't want to marry? That's not. That's a non-issue. You know, those those are already in place. You know, there there are ministers, there are religious people of religious faith that will not do wedding ceremonies for people of other religious faiths. So that's just. That's been the way it is and that's not gonna change. So but it's gonna all these issues are gonna come out and then the state is gonna have this big public battle, I believe. And what Jeff says may very well be true that when it comes down to the end of it that we'll have some kind of compromise. But I'm not sure that a compromise is gonna be good enough in the eyes mm-hmm. of the rest of the of the nation looking at Indiana.
4: The one thing in the proposed legislation, I'm curious, because I don't remember it, in your cities and in Bloomington, is that you wouldn't be able to have these individual anti-discrimination statutes, which a lot of places passed in the wake of Rifra. Do you, is there,
2: That's true. That's Kokomo has one, and Terre Haute and, Kokomo doesn't have one.
4: Kokomo does not, they didn't pass one.
2: Kokomo okay. said it would, uh, but nothing happened because of the November election, I suppose. And uh, a new city council take office um, today. Uh, that's going to be a part of their first few, I think, uh, tasks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Indiana has a history of the state legislature saying all those gun ordinances that your city's had. Yeah, those don't work anymore because we passed this all-inclusive statewide gun law Um, this is nothing new for Indiana uh, for the legislature to tell cities and counties that you know any kind of a additional ordinance that you pass is going to be superseded by ours so that was one of the arguments that the Kokomo City Council was giving us was that it doesn't matter what we pass Um, it's going to be superseded by whatever the legislature does, and my argument, our argument, the editorial board was, but you need to lead, and 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 make a a, a case for the state legislature to do the same, and a lot of communities uh, did this year, which I thought was really
0: surprising.
4: It's more symbolic. Mm-hmm.
0: So okay. we've got we we've, uh, gotten into this topic, and we've gone a little bit beyond where our break should be, but we're going have to have to take a short break right now, and then we'll be back with another 20, 25 minutes of uh, our program. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
3: This is Noon Edition on WFIU.
0: All right. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from The Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. And we have two guests in the studio with us today, Max Jones from the Terre Haute Tribune Star and Jeff Kovaleski from the Kokomo Tribune. I'm sorry you can't give us a call today. We're having a pre-recorded discussion uh, for New Year's Day, our New Year's Day program. It's about... 2015 and what we're looking ahead to to 2016 right before the break we were talking about uh, rifra and what we're expecting to see in the legislature in 2016 so I want to sort of morph that into a conversation about the elections that are coming up I mean is that is this going to be a you know a, a watershed issue when it comes to the election of 2016 for governor and other legislators Jeff what do you think
2: Uh I guess it depends on what the the, the final legislation looks like, um, but I think the governor has already, whether deservedly or not, been painted as a um, a very socially conservative person. Uh, he has made comments in the past and. And, and during the RFRA um, discussions that um, this is something that's not on Hoosier's radar, uh, he was wrong about that. Um, it, it's just I, I think he's going to need some help from the legislature uh, to, to change people's impressions of, of, of his deeply held beliefs. Mm-hmm.
0: Max?
1: What's well, going to be? It's going to be a tremendously interesting election this year. There's so many uh, uh, factors at work uh, when it comes to a statewide election. I mean, we have the national election that could end up having a great bearing on things like turnout and overall mood uh, in general uh, leading up to it. But uh, it could end up being that the gubernatorial race in Indiana actually has more interest than the uh, presidential race does uh, in the state. Uh, and I think that. Uh, uh, I think it's going to be close. I think it's, it's going to be intensely competitive. I think you'll see a different Mike Pence next year campaigning than what we saw the last time. I think he knows that he can't be uh, soft in his campaign strategy like he was uh, four years ago. Um, he, he just can't afford to be that way this time around. You know, John Gregg ran well uh, four years ago, and there's no reason to believe that, uh, uh, that he's weaker uh, than what he was uh, then. And in fact, he'll run a different race, too. I think he'll start much stronger. Part of the problem he had four years ago that he got a terribly weak start, and it really wasn't until the last maybe six weeks of the campaign uh, that he finally found his, his uh, campaign legs and, uh, and began to take advantage of the Pence campaign's unwillingness to play hardball. Uh, so Greg John, John Gregg will have to be ready for that. They'll come after him a lot harder this year. There'll be a tremendous amount of money that'll just pour into the state, uh, into this uh, gubernatorial race. Uh, but uh, it's not just RIFRA. I think the civil rights area uh, area is a problem uh, that will be talked about a lot but there's a whole lot more i think the whole educational the statewide educational issues that have cropped up in the last four years will end up also being a very dominating topic and of course now we have the whole I step debacle that is going to uh, be uh, keeping all of this very fresh uh... the, the Glenda ritz um, uh, presence in this election could be very interesting uh, it, it, I mean, I think this, uh, you may say it, a watershed election in a lot of different ways. And just like two years ago, we saw this tremendous swing uh, solidifying the supermajority on the Republican side. Uh, you know, I think Brian Howey, the statewide columnist, made the point that you know you could actually be looking uh, potentially at a at a, a year in Indiana swinging it as heavily back in the other direction as what it it had uh, swung in the uh, conservative favor. Uh, that may be going a little far, but I understand his point, and it is uh, something that's worth looking at. That if if the stars align just right, and they're up there ready to be aligned. Uh, But if they do, you you could see a really significant change in Indiana politics Mm -hmm. this year.
0: You're not willing to predict that Democratic swing, though. Right?
1: You know, every time I predict something on this show, it, it's the opposite of what <laughs> right, you remember. Right. I had Hillary, Hillary Clinton being president yeah, right, eight right. years ago. So right. <laughs> uh, it probably doesn't matter much what uh, nobody wants me to predict in their favor. Right. so. But uh, I, 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 I think it's quite possible you could see some dramatic swings.
0: Well, I want to ask Sarah from another from the statewide standpoint. I mean, what's the. The um, issue with Sue Elsperman not one, not you know backing out of running for lieutenant governor, being touted as uh, you know possibly the next Ivy Tech president. I mean, do you do you see anything behind the scenes on that? Do you think she wasn't lined up with Pence? What? That's
4: what I've heard. I'm I'm wondering if you all heard the same Guess thing. What is that how we reported? Yeah, the, we reported that too. Our state house reporter alluded to the fact that there were issues behind the scenes that they disagreed on RIFRA and. In effect, he was kind of showing her the door and saying, apply for this. That's why I'm wondering if mm-hmm. there's actually maybe sort of a divide forming in the Republican Party. We, uh, when we did our reporting on regional cities in the announcement and Pence announced, well, we're going to award it to three cities. And we don't really have the funding for this third one, but he's going to go to the legislature, legislature and ask for it. Brian Bosma. Was shocked and had no idea that the governor was intending to do this, and told us in an interview that it would have been really nice to have a heads up. I mean, he's very candid about it, which made us start to think: I wonder if Pence is losing some support. You know, I, I don't know. I'm curious what what you all
1: think. I think it's a real issue uh, for him, and uh, it it will become it become more apparent within the Republican Party this year as. As uh, you know, when you're so big and you have a, such a heavy supermajority, not everybody can love each other all the time. And and that group has shown really even in the last two, uh, two to four years that there are some sharp divisions within that party. It's that way even nationally in the Republican Party as we see uh, during their primary. So on a certain to a certain uh, degree, you see that in Indiana too. And uh, there's those some of those legislators who probably keep their distance from a Pence campaign. And will get along with him the best they can to to govern the state. But uh, it's it's not going to be be a big love in uh, among the Republicans this year.
0: Well, there are you know, other state issues, other state elections that are going to be interesting. The U.S. Senate race uh, you know, with Dan Coats uh, retiring from the Senate. I mean, from your parts of the state, is there a front runner for the Senate race? And that would be, you know, and down here we hear an awful lot about Todd Young, of course, because he's the ninth district congressman here. And but I wonder, you know, how he's comparing statewide to Eric Holcomb and uh, Marlon Stutzman. Are they the only other two in the race? I believe so.
2: I, Holcomb has been more um, aggressive, um, you know, trying to meet with media. Um, traveling to different counties and and trying to meet with um, Republicans, um, so just because he's been so aggressive, I would give him the you know the, as the favorite right now. Mm-hmm.
0: Max, anything from Terre Haute? Are you, are you hearing from those people or any? You know,
1: the, the, because Terre Haute tends to be uh, uh, more lean Democratic, uh, at least in Vigo County. Uh, you you it's really hard for us to say, but I know Marlon Sutzman has spent a lot of time in West Central Indiana, and he had the benefits of the statewide statewide race a few years ago uh when he ran in that primary that that Coates won uh so it's not that he's an unknown character, but I would think that Todd Young is because of the money he's gonna have uh among Republicans uh in our area he you know he he may be the one that would uh uh, that would rule the day, and Democrats just don't look like they have a tremendously strong uh, candidate to go against well, them. Well,
0: Barron Hill, right? I is,
1: is Barron Hill will yeah. be the one, and yeah. you know, even though he's he does okay, he's you know he's never been able to run a good statewide race, and it could be that that Senate race could be immune from this other, these other dyam- dy- dynamics going on in Indiana politics. That one may be kind of separate and not get drug into the the vortex of that.
0: Right. Yeah. Well I'll be you know, Barron's certainly got some good name recognition and he, he in our part of the state. And uh so I, I don't know. I think he'll I think he'll be probably geared up and run a pretty decent race if he's the guy who's running against whoever the Republican nominee is. But, you know, the Republicans in Indiana are always gonna be Going to be strong. I want to remind our listeners that uh, we're having a conversation about 2015 and looking forward to 2016. i um, Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU, WTIU, and we have Max Jones from the Terre Haute Tribune Star, Jeff Kovaleski from the Kokomo Tribune, and uh, we're just having a conversation. We're pre-recorded for this New Year's Day show, so you can't give us a call. Uh, anything else about the election? Let, let me just say that I, that I did. A, I moderated a Republican primary debate already, forum already for the ninth district. And what struck me about that was the can, the four, four candidates were there. There are five in the race, four were there. And three of the four lined up to try to out-conservative the other. And the one person who was the more moderate was Greg Zeller, our attorney general. And um, so, you know, they're all running against Zeller. And Brent Waltz, the state senator, was running the most Heavily, I mean, he was attacking. He was in attack mode against Zeller for, you know, votes he's taken, positions or votes he took in the legislature, I guess, when he was there, but positions that he's taken as the attorney general, and um, so it'll be it'll be interesting in in the ninth district to see how that comes out because we won't have an incumbent in that race either.
4: Yeah. Greg Zellers had no trouble winning re-election as attorney general. Right. I want I want to ask you quickly just about the presidential election because I'm sure Politico did this gigantic article about how Terre Haute goes, the rest of the country goes. So what's your feeling about how Terre Haute's going to go?
1: Well, you know, I I think it's probably a little a little early <laughs> to say yet. Yeah, you need to you need to see who the candidates are. There will be a lot a lot at work. Uh, Terre Haute does have this uncanny record, and, and, you know, we've been writing about this for, seems like, 30 years, uh, and every and in, in every presidential election that comes along, the record stays intact. So it, it is pretty remarkable. Uh, there's a lot of people paying a lot more attention to Terre politics than they, they did uh, a, a few decades ago, and it's because of this. Uh, so, uh, you know, at this point... Uh, you know, it'd be kind of crazy to say Hillary Clinton, I would think, would run very well. Uh, I think she'd be pretty hard to beat, even though uh, somebody like a Donald Trump would have uh, his fans in Terre Haute, Vigo County, in west-central Indiana. He'd certainly probably win a Republican primary there without uh, without any problem. But whether or not somebody like that could actually beat uh, Hillary Clinton in Vigo County, I have a hard time believing that. Uh, could be the case if those two ended up being uh, being the uh, the, I the candidates. Uh, I, I I would think that Trump would have a real terrible time in in uh, in Vigo County. He might win Indiana, but uh, he'd have a he'd have trouble in, in Vigo County. Mm-hmm.
0: I want to bring up one of the other huge news stories of the year um, in the state of Indiana, which was the HIV outbreak in Scott County. And I believe it was probably last year on this program that uh, I'm not sure who was here that day that predicted that that might be one of the biggest story of the year in in 2015. And, and if it wasn't for Rifra it very well mm-hmm. might have been, uh, you know, was, was the, you know, in, in Monroe County, you know, we've just been approved for a needle exchange program because uh, mainly because there have been a lot of a lot of overdoses of opioid drugs and you know there are issues uh, obviously drug issues in in Monroe and uh, that uh, the officials are trying to get ahead of but have have there been issues in Howard County or in Vigo County involving you know HIV opioid overdoses drug use definitely
2: opioid. Um, We've had we had 25. It was the middle of the year in 2015. So at you know from January to like May or June, we did 25 drug overdoses. Um, and I think in, in in particularly our area, we had a pill mill closed. Um, it was known to be a pill mill for a while um when it closed it just pushed everyone from you know the prescription narcotics to to heroin and and i think you know our issue is like the nation's issue i think that we've become a nation that has gotten used to having prescription drugs for back pain for aches and pains and 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 now we're starting to pay for it mm-hmm.
1: It's very similar in Vigo County. Its uh, its numbers have been uh, very high in terms of uh, uh, a lot of the same markers that showed up in in, uh, southeastern Indiana. Uh, So uh, it's it's something that hasn't consumed Vigo County to the extent that it did others. And part of the reason may be because meth is still such a presence in Vigo County that uh, the heroin and the opioids have not run out meth yet. Uh, there are still a lot of problems, uh, with, uh, various, uh, forms of drug abuse. And we do have have have, uh, some HIV problems and, uh, hepatitis, uh, problems, uh, in our county. But as yet, the county has not asked for, a needle exchange. They haven't felt like it's risen to that level yet, uh, but it's something that they're constantly keeping an eye on. And it's it's not that we don't have problems, but the problem hasn't morphed as far as it has in other areas.
0: Gosh, you guys, we only have about three or four minutes to go, so we need to hit some other issues. Sarah, what else do you want to talk about today? Yeah.
1: Well, I was going to stay on
4: the issue of drugs because okay, I think we, we're, right yeah. because our state house <laughs> reporter says this session is going to be the the quote unquote drug session. He thinks it might end up playing out to be bigger than. Uh, Rifra, um, because also we're talking about pseudephedrine, because of the Indiana ranks mm-hmm. worst in the country for meth, um, and folks we've talked to with the DEA say that it, it's a far bigger problem here than heroin, mm-hmm. even. Um, so I'll just add that okay. um, something yeah. else. I mean BMV overcharges. Uh-huh. They they had a huge mess this year, which affected oh, yeah. your areas absolutely. Um, yeah. Some other ones on your list, I know, too. Jared oh, yeah. Fogel.
0: Jared Fogel. Oh, my gosh. You know, Bloomington guy makes good and then makes very, very bad. You know, I mean, that was a big, big story, obviously, in 2015. Um, I just want to mention for 2016, I mean, there are a lot of other localized stories, but one big story It's going to affect all of us, bicentennial year. Uh, are you guys looking forward to it in Kokomo, Terre Haute? I mean, what big events going on? We have a you know, a couple of of
2: um, of the commissions you know that, that were set up for each county, um, and there's about five or six activities that are going to be going on. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to get too deeply into
0: this without just saying, does anybody care? <laughs> Bicentennial year
1: uh that's a good question uh there'll be some there'll be some interest in it uh but it I, I don't think it's going to be a huge party
0: mm-hmm. okay anything else what what else what other big issues do we face we're not we're so, not talking on education that much because the state impact Indiana yeah, people I didn't cover that very that's well. that's going to so. be
4: something to follow mm-hmm. this session for sure to figure I'd say out highway to funding
0: infrastructure
1: huge. yes mm-hmm.
2: yeah. and and you know I, and I think that you know just to piggyback on what max had said about you know a a seeming to be a, a, a the schism in 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 the Republican Party, this might be the issue that that forces that to open. Uh, you're going to have a lot of, of legislators who who sign some no-tax increase pledge, and you know, House leadership is going to go before its members and say, this is our plan. We would like to raise the cigarette tax by a dollar and raise the pump Tax, oh, and tie it to inflation. Um, I think that's a smart move. I think that you need to have a, a long-term fix as a short as opposed to a short-term just fix it and then we'll worry about it down the road. I respect Brian Bosma for coming out and 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 coming up with
0: a, a long-term fix it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. All right, and I think we're out of time. I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say it, because we have a lot of other topics that we could talk about. I do think the infrastructure, as you said, is gonna be a big issue. Of course, in Bloomington, here, Southern Indiana, I-69 has been a big story for many years and finally opened this year from, it's all the way from Evansville to Bloomington. And as you guys know from driving down here today, <laughs> a lot of construction going on. <laughs> but I wanna, I wanna thank you both for being here. Max Jones, Jeff Kovaleski, it's always great to have you guys down here and to talk news with you. Sarah, it's good to have you on, and we'll be back together next week. Absolutely. Right? All right. Good to see you. So I want to thank all our listeners. Happy New Year to you all. I want to also thank James Gray, our producer, and engineer Mike Pashkash for being here today for pre-recording this show. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.